0: I'm Amy Elisa Jackson, and this is In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. In every episode, we share the real stories of people navigating life's most pivotal moments at the intersection of the personal and professional. As a world-famous chef, Alon Shia has reached great heights, but he discovered that capturing even the biggest prizes can be empty victories when your working environment is toxic. We talked about how he's now created a positive work environment in his restaurants by encouraging diversity, empowering employees, and surrounding himself with positive people. Here's my conversation with Alon. Your journey with food really began in your mother's kitchen growing up in Philly. Talk to us about that time and your upbringing, that first introduction to food.
1: I mean, as far back as I can remember, those memories always rang a little stronger and a little louder for me. And I immigrated to Philadelphia with my family when I was four years old. And we left Israel and we left my grandparents behind, my Saba and my Safta. And we ended up in the outskirts of Philadelphia. And by the time I was five, my mom and my father had split. So my mom was raising my sister and I on her own, and we were in a brand new country, and I didn't speak any English, just starting preschool. And I always remember food just being that equalizer for the flurry of emotions that you could imagine a four-year-old would be going through during that time. And so I remember being in the kitchen with my mom regularly and cooking on the weekends. And then... On the weekdays, I had to fend for myself because my mom wouldn't get home till 9 p.m. And so I have a lot of memories, even from the age of like six and seven years old, of cooking at the house and going grocery shopping and bringing back ingredients and preheating the oven and getting dinner ready.
0: When did you know that food would become your career and your passion?
1: Well, throughout my childhood, I had a, a pretty rough Go at just kind of identity and and figuring out who I was or where I belonged. I never felt really accepted by many people. I think a lot of it had to do with just a lot of insecurity of being an immigrant and being in a city where my name was different. I couldn't necessarily like relate to a lot of the things that were going on with, say, like sports or, you know, just different things that are more of a Americana history, I was coming to school and bringing hummus and barrecas while everyone else was eating tater tots and sloppy Joes. And all of those moments just made me feel different. And I remember in high school really was when I decided that cooking could become a career for me and that it would be something that I could actually do to make a living and give me something to do out of high school because my High school years, I was failing out of school. I wasn't going. I was getting in a ton of trouble. I got arrested multiple times for a lot of different stupid shit that I did over the the years, and I was super lost. I had no idea where my life was going. My home economics teacher, Donna Barnett, was the one who really helped set me on a path to explore my potential and to believe in myself. When all the other teachers were kicking me out of their classrooms, they would send me to Donna's class and she would have me chop onions and her and I would connect and we would talk and she would help me understand what was getting me so angry. She helped me get a job in a restaurant and I was 16 years old and I never looked back. What was
0: it that she either said to you or showed you that made you feel like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, or this really rings true to me? Because there's a lot of teachers in a lot of our lives who kind of like have that special connection. What was it that she either shared with you or talked to you about that really convinced you?
1: Well, I think that she was really one of the only people in my life who really believed in me at that time and believed that I could do something with myself. I was burning a lot of bridges. I was not listening to people. I was not taking advice. And I was, you know, doing a ton of drugs and selling a ton of drugs. And, like, there was all these other influences that were definitely impairing my ability to rationalize what was next or what I was worth. With Donna, it wasn't so much the cooking. I think it was more about her just really believing in me and giving me a chance And I respected her because she could cook, and she could use a knife better than I could. And at that point in my life, I was already cooking for all my friends. I was cooking at my house a lot. I was cooking with my grandmother and my mother a lot. And so food really was already a huge part of my life. I I got my first job at a butcher shop when I was 13 years old, and then I worked in a bakery after that. So I was surrounded by food, and it just always interested me. And so... Donna really helped me understand that I could go to culinary school. I could do what I love to do and just focus on that and that I could become a a chef and I could become very successful. And I remember when I was working at Sonoma Grill at 16 years old in Manion, Pennsylvania, I would look at the head chef and I would be like, man, he drives a a Nissan Pathfinder and he, you know, wears nice shoes and he you know, has this like, I I felt like he was rich because we just grew up super poor and I felt like he was like super successful. And I thought then like I could do that or I could go that direction and actually one day be able to afford a Nissan Pathfinder.
0: So after training at the Culinary Institute of America, you pursued posts in Las Vegas and St. Louis, Italy, and then New Orleans. During that whole time, what were sort of your visions for the type of career you wanted? Because at that point you had been exposed yes to the amazing chef with the pathfinder, but you had sort of started to travel the world and really see the potential.
1: What kind of career did you want to create? I envisioned myself working in a large hotel or casino being the executive chef of a major operation with several restaurants and many kitchens because When I left culinary school, I I moved to Vegas and I started working in the casino industry in the kitchens. And at that time, it wasn't just the chef de cuisine that was the highest person on the totem pole. It was the executive chef of the entire hotel. And so automatically, I'm 19 years old at this point. Automatically, I'm like, that's the position I want. That's what I want to strive for. And, And so I began my career within the casinos and that took me to las vegas and it took me to new orleans and you know i kind of had my eyes set on some big corporate chef job that paid six figures and that would set me up for life then hurricane katrina hit new orleans well i was 25 years old when katrina hit i started just self-reflecting and i realized how much i was hating my job Being the chef in a casino and how I felt like it didn't really have any soul to it for me, not the position, but just for what my position was within that, I didn't feel like it was the right answer for me. And I didn't quite know what the right answer was. And when Katrina hit, it it just pulled the rug out from everything in life. And it allowed me a moment to kind of self-reflect. I remember cooking for people on the street right after the storm, red beans and rice, and people that were being rescued off of the, the roofs of their homes or people who were rescuing other people were coming to me to eat a bowl of hot red beans in the Walmart parking lot on Chapatulas in in downtown New Orleans. And I remember like walking through a looted out Walmart to like find Tabasco and Zatarans and stuff that I could season the red beans with in a propane burner to cook it with. And I made these red beans and they weren't even that good, but it was like the best it, it was like putting a smile on people's faces in a way that I didn't see at all during that time because uh Katrina was just a, it was a disaster. So When I would hand people this bowl of like red beans and rice that didn't have any vegetables in it, like no onions or bell peppers or celery, you know, no meat in there because all the refrigerators were were out. There was no food available that you could use that was safe to eat unless it was in a can or dried. I was handing out these bowls of really crappy red beans and rice and people were just like telling me how much it meant to them that they could eat a hot meal and not MRE. From FEMA, so that moment changed me in a way that made me understand that slinging filet mignon in a casino kitchen, you know, at midnight on a Saturday, was not the answer for me. And through some connections with chef friends of mine, they set me up with a a place to go work in Italy. In three weeks, I left my girlfriend and got rid of my cat. And had my sister take over all of uh, my bank accounts and subletted my apartment, and I was gone. I was headed to Italy, and that's when everything changed for me.
0: What ultimately brought you back to New Orleans um, from from Italy?
1: What was it that said, "Okay, I want this to be my home"? My girlfriend Emily, who is now my wife, <laughs> was there, and it was very hard to leave. We had been dating for about six months and i finally felt like i found someone that i could be with for the rest of my life but i wasn't ready to commit to that yet and com- you know my commitment to going to learn my craft and and going to cook italian food in italy was greater than anything else at the time and so i i found that to be the most important thing and i did it and emily and i you know stayed in touch and she came and visited me and Italy and we'd travel around and explore. And then when I came back to New Orleans, I was promised that she would still be there for me. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I came back and, you know, we got back together and I worked on getting an Italian restaurant open in New Orleans.
0: I mean, it panned out very well for you. Not only are you married to Emily now, but in 2015, uh, you won the James Beard Award for Best Chef in the South. And then in 2016, your modern Israeli restaurant, Shia, won the James Beard Award for Best New Restaurant. Those are really pinnacle moments in a chef's career. You were the chef partner of three restaurants at that time. Did you feel like you had made it? Did you have that moment that you had reached the mountaintop, if you will?
1: A thousand percent no. I didn't feel <laughs> I didn't feel like I made it. Really, tell me why. I was pretty miserable, to be honest with you, and I, and I was not in a happy place in my life. I felt like yes, our restaurant was being recognized, and we were you know getting to be well known within the industry of, for for me cooking Israeli food in New Orleans, and and that did mean a lot. It really did, but. I never felt comfortable and I never felt like it was a sustainable situation for me. And I felt that at some point it was all going to implode. And I didn't feel like I did a good job in my life of asking the hard questions, surrounding myself with people that I really looked up to, like from a value standpoint versus an opportunity standpoint.
0: Then things took a turn for the worse with Alon's contentious split with John Besh's restaurant group. The restaurants reportedly fostered a culture that encouraged sexual harassment and assault. Alon alleges that he was fired for speaking out about it. He not only lost his job, but also the rights to use his name on the restaurant, Shaya. The Besh group kept the name.
1: And so Emily and I together started again from the beginning and from scratch and worked on creating a restaurant culture and hospitality company that we felt good about you know and that would bring us joy and that would bring us happiness the James Beard awards and whatever other accolades that we had you know achieved by that point it's a great thing but it it doesn't fill you you know and it doesn't make you who you are and what what you are and i felt like when we started pomegranate hospitality i had an opportunity to like really be who I wanted to be and around the people that would help me get there.
0: What did you learn about yourself in that time of trying to wrap your head around, okay, everyone is, you know, cheering me on, everyone's lauding me with with prizes and awards, et cetera, but something just doesn't feel right. What did you really learn about yourself?
1: I think I learned what my values were. What my personal values were that centered around respect and equality and accountability and empowerment. The day that I left Shia was the day that I wrote our mission statement for Pomegranate Hospitality. I felt that this would be the chance for me to get these values in a place that they can actually do something for me. And that I can really hold on to them and believe in them and feel that I was worth those values. And I wanted all of our team members who joined Pomegranate Hospitality to also feel that they were worth those values of empowerment and respect and communication and education. We made a very strong statement to say that we were going to create a safe and a healthy workplace for our team members and that we would put our team first before anything else and that we would create a company where people felt empowered and respected. Those core values that we put together became our blueprint for how we built our company and how we opened both Saba in New Orleans and Safta in Denver. When we recruit, we ask people about accountability and we ask them about respect and we ask them about empowerment. And when we do evaluations, we ask people about equality and we ask them about organization and passion and creativity. And and these are all things that became how we operated our company.
0: I want to share a bit of the mission statement for Pomegranate Hospitality because it really jumped out at me as being unique, not only to the restaurant and hospitality world, but just to companies in general. Part of the mission statement says, we will spend our days together in a place where everyone feels comfortable and safe. We will stand up for and uphold our values of equality for all people, no matter the circumstances. Then we will cook and serve and be happy. Why was it so imperative for you to create a fair and safe working environment? And why is that so revolutionary in the culinary world? I've seen so many write-ups about pomegranate hospitality noting how disruptive this is for the industry to have a mission and value statement quite like this.
1: I would not say that pomegranate hospitality is a Pioneer in this in any way, we definitely look to people that we believe do a great job in this industry the the Michael Anthonys of the world and the Ashley Christensens of the world and the Cassidy Dabneys of the world people that I believe really do run and operate just these beautiful work cultures and environments for their team and you know we did a lot of soul searching and we learned a lot and we worked really hard to implement it in a way that would be sustainable and that we would be held accountable to it. And so I think the big lesson for me was that I had to surround myself with people that believed in these things. And I had never in my life worked in a place where I felt people were empowered and treated fairly and respected in a way that I I knew that we could do if we really worked hard at it. And so I think that this industry is very often labeled toxic and very often labeled unhealthy. And I would agree that that is very true. But I also think that there are people that are changing the way that people will talk about restaurant culture in the next 10 years and 20 years. And we hope to continue to learn from those people and we hope to continue contributing our small part to that.
0: Alan, at your restaurants, Saba in New Orleans and Safta in Denver, what are some of the initiatives or values that you and your team have implemented in the business? What does this transformative culture really look like in action?
1: Yeah. So, a director of people and culture and a department surrounding that is step one. You need to really invest in a structure that will allow those values to come to life every day. We ask ourselves, what helps our core value of passion how do we bring that out of people and we realize that a work-life balance is imperative for people to continue being passionate about what they do every day and so we promised our team a work-life balance and we hire enough people to help create that for our team we work really hard on education and we host weekly lunch and learns so that our team can teach each other things. And each one of our team members are empowered to come up with a class that they want to teach their colleagues. And they get up and they teach the class once a week. And it's it's amazing to see. We've had everything from Taxidermy to Beyonce to wine regions. You know, everyone people are passionate about many different things, and we we empower them to do what they're passionate about. We ask our team to challenge us, and we create spaces so that they can challenge what happens within the restaurant every day. They have a lot of opportunities to speak to everybody about the things that are important to them, and we do that through weekly. Check-ins with our management team that are, you know, mandatory for all of our management teams to do where they all have to check in with their team and they have to ask questions about what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? How can we be better for you? We do coffee chats in the first 30 days for our team members so that they can give us feedback on, on whether or not the job has met their expectations and whether or not we've met our promises to them yet. We have an employee assistance program, the benefit of getting free financial and legal and mental health advice. We provide health benefits to our team. We do paid time off that rolls over from year to year. We have opportunities for them to take educational courses that we reimburse for. It has to be something that happens every single day, and it has to be something that is written in stone in a way that people can really rely that These things are not just words on a piece of paper, but that's actually what their day is going to look like throughout the restaurant.
0: The culinary world is known for sort of being a very stressful and a very fast paced environment where it's really about getting things done and getting things done right. And it can be harried whether you're in the back of the house or the front of the house. What were some of the habits that you or others had to unlearn throughout this process of really making sure that this was a safe and fair working environment? Were there certain habits that you yourself had to think about, okay, maybe I need to leave that in the past?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that our ethos of putting our team first is a big part of that because when we make decisions based on what we're doing every day, we we ask ourselves, does this put our team member first? Does this put them above everything else that's happening. I think that patience and I think that empathy and I think just a less aggressive tone, all of these things make a huge difference in what people feel every day. I think that the biggest part of it is that our team has together created this environment now that they all work inside of where they hold each other accountable and people don't tolerate people that come through that don't meet our core values. And so what our pomegranate team has tried to do really well is set the tone for everyone to follow, and our team members have brought it to places that we're super proud of.
0: When you think about how far you've come in your professional journey, starting out at the butcher shop at 13 to now, what has surprised you most about the journey?
1: I think that what surprised me the most about my journey has been that I, I still regularly discover new things about myself and I still regularly realize how I can believe in myself more and use that in positive ways. To me, I was 38 years old when I realized that I was not putting the right people around me every day. I wasn't doing that in high school when I was surrounding myself with drug dealers and people who were violent. And I wasn't doing that as an adult and surrounding myself with people that believed in equality and empowerment and communication. And I think that my life continues to just get better because I continue to learn these things about myself. And I continue to empower the people that I surround myself with to like understand what my values are, and for me to understand what their values are, and and that helps me make my decisions now.
0: What's been the hardest lesson that you've had to learn in your career, but nevertheless the thing you're either most eager to share with people or that you're proud of?
1: I mean, I've learned so many hard lessons, but I think that the hardest lesson I've learned is that you should really be around the people that you look up to, but more so than just in a career way, but in a value standpoint. That is something that took me too long to figure out.
0: It sounds like something that is so simple, right? You know, your mother or your father or just different people in your life tell you, you know, you are who you spend your time with or you are a reflection of the friends that you have. It's harder, I think, sometimes when we're older and in our careers to really put that into practice. It seems, you know, you take the job that makes the most professional sense or pays really well or means something on your resume, and it's hard to kind of remember that who you surround yourself with and what you allow to go on in and around your workplace really does affect you and
1: it really does shape you. I had a chance recently to give the commencement speech at the Culinary Institute of America And, you know, my biggest advice to the students that were graduating culinary school and heading into their careers. And I said to them, surround yourself with people that you believe in, not because of how good they can cook or how much money they're going to pay you, but by what they do every day. And that is more important than anything else. Anywhere you go where you're disrespected or you're treated like you should keep your mouth shut. And stay in your place, leave those places, and go find the people that will treat you the way you deserve to be treated, and that will turn into so much more success in your career and in your personal life than anything else.
0: Lastly, Alon, looking ahead, what are you in pursuit of? What's next?
1: I'm in pursuit of personal happiness, and that is something that my wife Emily and I talk about a lot. And we are making decisions that will bring us personal joy within our lives. And that included opening a restaurant in Colorado. It includes making our home in New Orleans. And it includes surrounding ourselves with our friends and the people that we love. Creating a company that we really believe in. And supporting the people within our team that make it as special as it is every single day. So... That, to me, is so much greatness that I look forward to continuing to be a part of.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Thank you very much, Amy.
0: Thanks for listening to In Pursuit, the podcast from Glassdoor. This episode was produced by Lee Schneider and Allison Sullivan. Music by Epidemic Sound. Production by Red Cup Agency. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple, don't forget to share the love. Give us some stars. Leave a comment. Thanks for listening. I'm Amy Alisa Jackson, and this is In Pursuit.